How about that? Just like the church you grew up in, right? And that kind of what? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know who it is, but someone will be fired. It may be me. I don't know. Uh, but how awesome, how awesome they did. Uh, happy Father's Day to you. Um, uh, glad you chose to come and worship with us today. And I'm going to have a word of prayer, and I'll share with you what's on my heart. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for the beauty of this place, and what a high honor to gather in the name of, of Alive and all the folks in the Alive community and all the folks that are in different worship settings all around the world, all around our, our country. Uh, this is your day, and we are so honored to throw our voices into that ring and celebrate you. Lord, I'm very much aware that some people uh, are gathered in this place today, and they're just exploring the whole thing, trying to figure the whole thing of, of you and themselves out. Uh, maybe they're even averse to you, but they're here because the kid's invited or whatever. Um, Lord, our prayer is very simple. We just want to be more like you when we leave this place. Out of all the things we've studied on the planet, uh, you seem to be embody love more than anything we have studied. And so we want to leave and be more like you. Uh, some of us, that'll be a big change. Some of us, it'll be a tweak. Some of us, it'll be a situation. But we just want to be more like you. So have your way, I pray, in your name. Amen. Uh, well, I uh, just want to share a little bit about my father to kind of get this whole new series started. Um, uh, some of you won't be able to relate to this, but uh, my dad, I uh, never heard my dad say a curse word or a swear word or a cuss word, depending on where you were raised. But I never had heard my dad say that. Um, and so um, all, we had five kids in our family, and we all tried on numerous occasions to kind of get him to say something that, you know, we could tell mom about. But he, he never... He never has, even to this day, but dad did have these phrases he would say that weren't technically cussing, but I'm pretty sure the heart was cussing. And so I'll kind of give you an example of that. So um, we would do something stupid uh, as kids or something, and then he would walk in and he would simply say four words, what in the world? But he wouldn't say it like I just shared it with you. He would emphasize different words and, and you felt like you had just been like cut open. You know, he would say like, what? in the world, you know, and we're like, oh, you know, dad just cussed me, but he didn't, you know, but it felt that way, and he had this other phrase that he would say, but in order for me to tell you what the other phrase is, I kind of have to tell you this story. One night, um, it was the middle of summer, and my brothers and I, uh, my brothers and I decided we'd go out and buy some fireworks. It wasn't July 4th. We were just bored, and so um, we went uh, down the road, and we bought some fireworks. My brother had just got his license, and so he was driving, and um, he had a friend with him, and we were in my dad's company car. Now, you already know how this story plays out. You already get it, okay? You have all the details you know to piece together, but I need to fill about 30 minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you the rest of the story, and, and, and then everybody will know. So, so here's kind of how this thing played out. Um, it, it wasn't 4th of July, but we went down, and we, uh, middle of summer, and we bought these fireworks. So my brother and, and his friend were there in the front seat. I was in the back seat by myself in my dad's brand new Ford Fairmont company car. Well, I decided, so I'm in the back seat, bag of fireworks, and a lighter, and I decided that I would kind of liven things up as we're making the trip home, and so um, what I decided I'd do is I would light a firecracker, and I'd throw it out my brother's window who was driving, just for fun. And so that's kind of what I decided I would do when I was 14. So, so, so we, were, we were riding down the road. The windows are down. It was a beautiful summer night. And I, I pick out this one firecracker, the kind that you could light, and it spins, you know, and that kind of number, like in sparks. And I pick it out because it's going to make the most bang for the buck, if you will. But I decided I would do that. 
So I take and I, and I lit the firecracker and I threw it out my brother's front window who's driving the car. Now, in my defense, the frontal cortex of my mind is not fully formed yet until I'm 26 years old because I'm a man. So it's really not my fault. It's God's. God is the one who made me this way, okay? And you men, don't you act like I'm the only one up here who's ever done something stupid before because I've heard stories all morning long about dumb things you do, and I've enjoyed every one of them. So um, here's the deal. I lit the firecracker. I threw it out the front window where my brother was driving, but I did not take into account, because of the whole frontal cortex problem, that the wind would blow that thing back in the back seat in the back window. So that's exactly what happened. I lit it, <laughs> you know, the evil laugh, you know, but I was pre-puberty. Anyway, he had an evil laugh, throw it out the front window, and the wind, you know, comes right back in. It lands beside me in the bag of fireworks in the backseat of my dad's Ford Fairmont. It is hard for me to describe to you what happened. I called my brother who was driving this week when I was riding. I said, hey, Mark, do you remember this story? He said, remember it. It's why I'm in therapy. You know, that's kind of what. It was like the 4th of July happened in the back seat of that car when everything caught fire. So I kept trying to fly into the front seat to get away from the fireworks while my brother, because he's a brother, kept shoving me back where all the danger was, right? And so they weren't going to let me forward. And so there was so much smoke in the car, we had to pull off the side of the road because we couldn't see the road. And so we pulled off, and all three of us go, <laughs> you know, got out of the car, and we're coughing. <laughs> and there were some non-dad words that were used in that moment right there. We got it all back together, and I got in the car, and I sat down, you know, kind of all <laughs> black and ashed and burnt. And I got to thinking, I'm going to have to tell Dad about this. <laughs> and so... It was dark, so I kind of stuck my hand down there where the fire bag, firework bag used to be. And my hand went through the melted vinyl and into the foam rubber that made the seat and into the spring. You know what I'm talking about? And that's when I realized I'm not going to be able to hide this. <laughs> so I just decided I'd take my licks. And so I walked in and said, hey, Dad, do you remember your car? <laughs> And I told him what his son, who was supposed to be the smart one, <laughs> had done. And dad said another one of his phrases that wasn't cussing, but it sure felt like one when he said, you have got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. And that's, I think, the same reaction, if you will, that some of us are going to have as we go through this series this summer. Now, we decided we're going to have some fun this series, and um, you're going to hear some of these stories of the most popular scriptural stories you, you, you heard growing up, or even if you weren't a believer, you probably heard some of these. And there will be these times when you'll hear it, and you'll think, you got to be kidding me. You know, you got to be kidding me. I'm not, I'm not, basically, I'm not going to buy that. In fact, there will be this temptation for you to sort of put these stories in the Aesop fables category, or, or like kind of a marriage between Mother Goose and Jesus. You'll think, oh, that's, that's kind of what that story is. And you'll have to determine whether or not you believe it. Uh, because I have this big concept of God, I think that they all happened. And I think God can make all that happen. So I, that's kind of where I go on it. You have to decide for yourself what you want to do. But what I want to do through all these incredibly crazy stories where you'll say, yeah, you got to be kidding me. This isn't, 
what I want to do is I want us to focus on the main character of these stories. And the main character isn't going to be Jonah, who gets swallowed by the whale or the fish, depending on what church you grew up in. Or it's not going to be Daniel and shut the lion's den and I'll shut the lion's mouth and all that kind of stuff. It's not going to be Esther. Uh, it's not going to be David and Goliath. The main character that I want us to grab a hold of through this entire, this entire thing is God. God's the main character. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of chart that course for us this morning and get this started. And I'll tell you why. Because the God featured in all of these stories where you're going to hear and see things that God did, and you're going to, you got to be kidding me. What I understand about that God is this. He never changes. Now, if you believe that, then what that means is all the freaky stuff you're going to hear God did and God does through these stories, apparently that same God and all the freaky stuff is accessible and available to me and to you. But how do you know God never changes? I'm glad you asked. So it's uh, Malachi, this is the Old Testament, and, and basically, I, I don't change. You know, that's kind of what that whole thing says, and so, you know, I don't know how you can interpret it really any other way, um, but, it, you know, I, I, the Lord, don't change it. Well, that's the Old Testament. Okay, so uh, here's the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So according to a Christian belief system, and of course, if you have believe the Bible's authority in your life, then God doesn't change. And so that same God that engages at different levels and does these different things, apparently it's available to me and available to you. And here's one thing I, can, you, I know about you, and you can actually assume this is, this is true about me. We all have these moments. We all have, have these seasons of life when we'll look to God out of frustration. And we'll look to God out of frustration and we'll say something like this, you you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. Uh, let me. Let me tell you, kind of like, so like, I faithfully followed you my entire life, and now this? you got to be kidding me. Or, or maybe something like, uh, I raised the kids the best way I knew how, and now they're doing this? you got to be kidding me. I committed to forever, but I guess they didn't. you got to be kidding me. What did I do to deserve this? You've got to be kidding me. I'll tell you how carnal I am. <laughs> I remember when Lisa was doing residency, um, I, I, we had two young kids. I don't even know how we had time to make them. I don't even know where they came from. I really don't. But nonetheless, she kept getting pregnant. I have no idea. But anyway, that's another story, and I'm glad she's not in this service. So anyway... <clears throat> The uh, kid comes, the second one, Sarah, that's her. Sarah came, and, um, and I remember I had to preach the next morning. It was like two or three services. I don't remember how many that was. And I remember Sarah decided she didn't want to sleep that night. And so here I am walking through the house doing this with the kid, right? And trying to sing, trying to have changed it, burped it, bathed it, all that different, fed it, you know, all that different stuff. And still Sarah just wanted to be up. And I remember having this conversation with God. God, do you know what I do for a living? Do you know what night it is? You've got to be kidding me, you know. And, and so we do that. See, part of what I think we've all experienced is some frustration with God. Frustration that he allows different kinds of suffering in our lives. And I, I think it's different kinds of suffering or pain or hurt. And you're like, you've got to be kidding me, God. I'm, I'm, I'm one of you. I'm on your team. And I think the one question that people, got, that God hears the most, I think the question is going to be why. Or maybe even this. Why me? Why me? And I sort of hope we'll gain some traction on this as we look at the God this summer through some strange and at times unbelievable circumstances. 
Here's kind of where I'm just showing my cards before we get into the whole series, and it's this. As I read scripture, the best I can tell, God is good, and God is faithful, and God is able. Now, you don't necessarily have to buy into that, but you should read it for yourself, because my takeaways are, that's always going to be true. That God is good, God is faithful, and God is able. And if that God doesn't change, then the circumstances that I'm walking through, this is still true. God is good, God is faithful, and God is able. So, so this series will be a win, if you will, if you are encouraged by what God once did with this idea. If you'll be encouraged when you hear these stories and, and you think, well, you know what? Maybe he'll do it again. And maybe we'll be comforted by who God is and the reality that God never changes. And that even in your circumstance and situation, whatever you're grinding through right now, God is good, God is faithful, and God is able. So today, I got this high honor of being able to tell you the story of David and Goliath. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a rock star story in scripture. Um, and and let, me, let me kind of give you some background. So um, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't like come and live in each one of our hearts like he does now um, because Jesus hadn't come and, and paid the, cr- the cross sacrifice yet. And so what happened was the Holy Spirit would speak through individuals instead of like a blanket covering like everybody has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come on an individual and that individual would be God's voice for the people. In David's time, pre-David, there's a dude by the name of Samuel. You can read all about Samuel in the, in the, in the Old Testament. He's got two books named Samuel, First Samuel, and then creatively, Second Samuel. And so um, you can read his whole story in those two books. It's, it's a fascinating read, but this is God's man. He's the prophet. And so God tells Samuel to anoint the first king of Israel, and that first king of Israel, his name was Saul. Saul basically got anointed because he was a tall person. That's, that's basically why he was called out. But he gets anointed to be the king. But then Saul basically screws up. And so God instructs Samuel, says, okay, it's time for us to anoint a new king that's going to replace Saul. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. God says to Samuel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the next king. That's kind of what's going on. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house. I talked about this a little bit last week. And Jesse basically lines up all his sons, and they march in front of Samuel. The first one is uh, Eliab, or Eliab, or you pronounce it the way you want to. And so uh, basically Eliab, and and Samuel thinks this is surely the guy, because Eliab is strong and powerful. He he looks good, you know what I'm saying? He's like a a leader. You can tell just by looking at the guy. But it's not the dude. God makes it very clear that's not the one. Jesse says, no problem, we'll bring in the next one. And he also is strong and powerful. That's not the one. In fact, seven guys go by in front of Samuel, and none of them are the one. On the outside, these guys are big and strong and powerful leadership kind of material, but none of them are the person that God wants to lead Israel. And the scripture says why. Verse 7, the same chapter, 1 Samuel 16. Lord said to Samuel, Lord doesn't look at the things that you're looking at. Man looks at the outward appearance, Lord looks at the heart. Now hang on to that, we're going to come back to it. God's looking at the heart. It ends up that God wanted David. He was the youngest of all those brothers. He wasn't even in the room. He was out tending sheep so the grown-ups could play. 
Samuel says, go, go get him. And so they bring him forward, and David is anointed the next king of Israel. David would eventually be called a man after God's own heart. Oh, he's known as. A reminder that God's agenda isn't the outside. God's agenda is the heart of his people. So now we've got David, one of the main people in this whole story. He's the author of Psalm 23. We just finished this core value series last week. He's the author of that. Not just that. He wrote a good many uh, of the Psalms. If you open the middle of your Bible, there's a whole bunch of Psalms there. A good many of those are written by David. Um, he, he, he was the second king of Israel. He was actually a great king for Israel. He, he brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. I mean, he built up the military power. He, w- he was a good king. But there is a dark chapter involved in David's life, as you all probably have heard. Um, you know, David, David had this affair with uh, Bathsheba. And um, as a result of that affair and trying to cover it up, murder happened, lie, betrayal. And they actually ended up losing the kid. I mean, it was, it was, it was a traumatic, traumatic time in David's life. Once David was anointed to be king by Samuel, David didn't like move into a palace and grow up. David stayed doing what he was doing. So here he is, the next king of Israel, out tending the sheep. He still was the youngest brother in a, in a room full and family full of brothers. Every once in a while, he played some music for King Saul because everybody knew that he was the next anointed one, and Saul got kind of loony, and so they would kind of have David come in and play some music for him every so often. And then he goes back to caring for his sheep. So David's caring for sheep. The young brother's doing life. They're all doing their deal. And then a battle, battle starts, and the battle is between the Israelites and the Philistines. Uh, for, for helping us simple people understand, um, the Israelites wear the white hats, and the Philistines wear the black hats, okay? They're the bad guys. And so there's this constant battle between these two countries. And there's this battle that's taking place, so when they hear the battle's getting ready to take place, all of the brothers go to the battle to help fight for the people of Israel, but not David. He stays to watch the sheep. So David goes, or the guys go to the battle, and then the Jesse says, you know what, we probably need to send some food to the battlefield because it's going to be there a while. So he calls David in and says, David, I've, I made this care package. I want you to take this little basket to the boys on the battlefield. So David and Goldilocks go, you know, carrying their little basket to the, to the battlefield. <clears throat> and they get there, and here's the scene that's unfolding once David gets to the battlefield. When David gets there, he learns the Philistines have this giant and the giant's name is Goliath. Now, some things about Goliath, he's, he's a Philistine, and they're a strong enemy of the Hebrew people. He's a giant, literally. He's over nine feet tall, not like Jack and the Beanstalk giant. I mean, this dude's like just a nine feet tall person. I don't know if he had like Marfan syndrome. I have no idea what happened, but he was nine feet tall. Not only that, but he was a warrior. He was a decorated, victorious, battle-proven soldier, Okay. So David gets to the battlefield, and there's Goliath, and Goliath is basically talking smack to the entire army of God. He's basically taunting and teasing, and he's he's saying, any person that wants to come out and fight, I'll fight. And here's what they're doing. They're saying, let's not kill everybody. Let's just have two guys fight. Of course they're saying that because they got a nine-foot-tall veteran who's fighting for them. Let's just have the two of us fight. Winner takes all. Nobody on the Israelite side is excited about that. David gets there, and David gets kind of ticked off at Goliath. I mean, who does this guy think he thinks he is? And so the next chapter, 1 Samuel 17, verse 26, says this. David asked the men standing near him, 
What will be done for the person who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Don't you love the confidence? (laughs) Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I'll be honest. I wish I had that terminology growing up because I would have used that a lot on my brothers, okay? I would have used that. I I can just, and I think it could have saved some spankings I got. I mean, honestly, because it would have been so awesome. Mom, it's the uncircumcised Philistine who did it. But who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And I love that. Eliab, who's David's older brother, got upset because he hears David talking like this. But I think there's more to it than just that. See, Eliab had to tolerate standing in front of Samuel to be the next king and not getting picked. And he now had to live with the fact that the youngest brother, the little scrawny kid watching the sheep, he gets picked. So there's some brother rivalry going on here, I believe. David, he says to, Eliab says to David, says, hey, just chill, buddy. You you don't know what you're talking about. But David doesn't let up. In fact, he doesn't let up. And he's so vocal and such strong resentment that people go and tell King Saul, which I'm assuming the only way he got to King Saul is because he was anointed the next king, and so he got away with some stuff. So he goes before King Saul, and King Saul says to him in verse 33 of the same chapter, Saul says, you're not able to go up against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been fighting, been a fighting man from his youth. See, Saul looks at the outward. And respectfully, that's your default too. You look at the outward, and so do I. But God looks deeper. David, I love the boy's confidence. He lists his qualifications for why he's ready to battle the warrior. And this is what he says to Saul. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Whoopie ding dong. You know, okay, been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Mic drop right there, by the way. Then he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Let's get the party started. That's what David is saying. God's been faithful to me in the pasture. He'll be faithful to me in the battlefield. And you know what? That's exactly where some of us are right now. God's been faithful to you in this church. Why do you think he's not going to be faithful to you at the hospital? God was faithful to you when he got you through that tough time. You remember? Why do you think he's not going to be faithful today? He didn't change. This is what David's saying. I got nothing but faithfulness on God's side. Why would I think he's going to leave me hanging now? So David goes out and he picks out these five smooth stones and he heads toward Goliath. And as he does it, Goliath mocks him and calls him names. I'm going to read the rest of it directly from how the scripture, how this plays out. Goliath is talking smack to David. David says to the Philistine, a nine-foot tall giant. David's a boy with a piece of leather and some stones. He says, you're coming against me, except for it's probably pre-puberty. You're coming against me with sword and spear. I don't know. 
and javelin. If you don't know what puberty is, ask your mom on the way home. But anyway, I, <laughs> but I come against you, he said, in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. And I'll strike you down, dude. And I will cut off your head. And all those gathered here are going to know it's not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord. Some of you, that's why you're here today. I act like that. And he will give all of you into our hands. Now he's talking smack to the whole army. <laughs> As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, watch this. David ran quickly toward the battle to meet him. Reaching into his bag, so David's running. You know, <laughs> he reaches into his bag, and then he whips out this little thing. I don't know how they do this slingshot thing. And he slung it, and he strikes the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank in, which is ooh, but also kind of cool. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell down, face fell face down on the ground. Now, here's my incredible takeaway from this. Number one. That is not my tendency. When there's a battle raging, I'm not all fired up to go running toward it. I kind of like to back away, to be honest with you. But here's what I'm saying. If we believe what the Bible says about God, and if we believe that God never changes, that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then here's what we can know. The same confidence that David had in God as he faced Goliath is available for whatever you are dealing with today. If he doesn't change, then the same confidence David had is actually available to me and to you. What would that look like? Let me ask you this. What's the Goliath you're dealing with today? Let's talk about that just a minute. Some of you, that's going to be a real easy to find. Others of you, you may have to search for it. But what is your fear producer? What is your worry creator? What is the giant you find yourself looking up to this very morning? Health, doubt, uncertainty, resentment, relational crisis, fear, anger. How about just the unknown? If God never changes, does this mean that you and I can now say with David to our Goliath, this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head, and all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give all of you into our hands. Can we say that? You see, I think this kind of trust in God is available to us. I do. I think it's available to all of us if we want it. But I also want to say I'm not so sure that this kind of trust in God comes easy for me. I want to do some audience participation. As you think about your Goliath, if you would, kind of bring that front and center, 
How about you just say this with me? Uh, just say it out loud. One, two, three. I am alone. And honestly, that's how many of us fight our Goliath. I've got to kind of grin and bear it. I've got to stick it out. I've got to persevere. I'm alone. And yet in David's story, we hear this part. I'd like for you to say it with me too. One, two, three. God is with me. Which one of those felt right? You see what I'm saying? See, I can fight right here. But I feel so much better fighting right here. You know? I can do this, and that's kind of what my, I think my default is to do that. But David says, David and Goliath and God, God's with me. How about this one? Do you see this? Thinking about your Goliath. I don't think I can win. Say it with me. One, two, three. I don't think I can win. How about this? What if we learn from this? One, two, three. The battle belongs to the Lord. Which one do you kind of default to? I don't think I can win. Or does the battle belong to the Lord? Can I tell you something that I hope is encouraging, but I don't think it's going to sound that way? You can't beat your Goliath. You can't. It's out of your hands. You're not strong enough. Because the battle is never yours. The battle belongs to God. Not you. How about just do one more? How about this? One, two, three. I don't know what to do. You feel like that facing your Goliath? Things are out of your control. And I hate that, don't you? I don't know what to do. How about this? This is what I learned from David. One, two, three. God is with me. As you facing that Goliath, God's with you. God is with you in the midst of that. You say, Tom, this is impossible. And I get it. I do. I got Goliaths in my own life. And we make these plans for our lives and lives that we control because all of us are into control. I don't care who you are. We all have some control elements we want to deal with. And then we get blindsided by something that's totally out of our control. And it throws us off, off our game. And we have this unwelcome guest of worry or fear or panic or anxiety or self-pity or resentment. Something settles in because of the Goliath. You know what I wrote in my journal a couple weeks ago as I was dealing with a Goliath? This is what I wrote. I said, my faith is strong, but I think sometimes my fears are louder. <laughs> and when you're facing a Goliath, that's kind of what's going on. It's not that you don't believe in God. It's just that the fear is a whole lot louder than faith. <laughs> it's not that you're worried that God can't hold his end up, maybe. It's just that you're not giving God a chance to fight it for you. You're out of control. You felt this way before? Don't leave me alone. You with me? You're doing life, and life's not in your control, and there are a mess of things out there that promise to jack up our plan. And you know what? I don't like that. There are a good many Goliaths out there, and we're looking down at a little puny slingshot because we're looking at the outside. But God looks at the heart. And God's looking at your heart. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew. He said this, With man, this is impossible. And it is. Facing your Goliath, defeating that Goliath on your own, it is impossible. But with God, 
who fights on our behalf because it is his battle, all things are possible. Even the you've got to be kidding me moments. All things are possible. So just allow me just a couple of takeaways from this you've got to be kidding me story. If these help you, great. If not, then just forget about them. But here's kind of what I wrote in response to some of the, 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 the takeaways from what I learned from David and Goliath. Here's the first one. Stop comparing yourself to other people. You say, that's a weird takeaway, <laughs> probably. Um, but here's kind of where I am. I think a large part of the Goliaths that we face and the you got to be kidding me reactions have to do with the fact when I see what other people are going through and I'm not, or I'm going through and they're not. So stop comparing yourself to other people. Instead, focus on comparing your God to Goliath. Let that happen. Let that happen. So they don't have that, but you do. So what? God, kick Goliath Fanny. You know, just do your little deal there, God. Just go after it. It's your battle. Here's the second one. Stop believing you're so doggone alone. You're not. You are not. I'll tell you what's going to happen, and because I know this is what happens. Satan will try to work and make you feel like you are completely alone. And you know what? My tendency is to kind of embrace that being alone. Does that make sense? Not tell anybody, just kind of keep it all right here. Stop believing you're alone and start abiding. God's not going to guide you somewhere to drop you, people. Why do you know, how do you know that? Well, God is good, God is able, and God is faithful. He doesn't guide you somewhere and then not provide for you. He's going to give you what you need to defeat your Goliath. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe, maybe your Goliath is actually a gift. And all the while, God is growing you up in Christ for what he needs to do and wants to do with and through you because that was true for David. He's a boy. He takes a nine-foot dude down with a slingshot. What do you think that did for David when he was the king? It shaped him. It made him a man after God's own heart because at some point the reality was that boy should have never been able to take down that giant. But the battle wasn't mine, it was God's. And so as I'm facing a whole nation now, as I'm facing kids that have, kids that have defiled me, kids that have embarrassed me, kids that want to kill me, the battle belongs to the Lord. Lastly is this. Stop thinking like a shepherd. <laughs> and what I mean by this is, is repent. What does that mean? Rethink how you think about everything. If the battle is the Lord's, and if God is faithful, if God is good, if God is able, rethink how you think about everything. Let God do the battle. It's not for you to fight. Let God do his deal. The battle belongs to God, not you. So let me just kind of ask you two questions. And if you would, let's just kind of bow our heads and I'll close this in prayer. Let me ask you this. Just kind of, you do some homework here. What, what, what do you think, what is the Holy Spirit telling you about you right now? Let God speak to you. you you've already got the Goliath labeled. Maybe you've been thinking about it for this entire time we've had together. So what is the Holy Spirit telling you about you right now? You know, for me, 
It was, Tom, you know, you tend to take too much of this on yourself. Tom, you think you have to battle through this. Tom, you think the only strength available to you is your own. Tom, you struggle with trusting me to fight for you. What is the Holy Spirit telling you about you? If that's new terminology for you, sometimes it'll be a thought. Sometimes it'll be your inner heart will tell you prompting. Sometimes it's a voice, not often, but sometimes. What is the Holy Spirit telling you about you? And here's my second question. What is the Holy Spirit telling you about God? Is your God too small for your Goliath? Is God reminding you that he was big and he is able? Is your God disinterested in the Goliath you're facing? Because according to Scripture, God is good and God is faithful. He doesn't leave me somewhere and drop me. Is your God cheering you on in your fight? Or is he fighting in your behalf? What is the Holy Spirit telling you about God? And I pray, Lord, by the power of that Holy Spirit, giants would fall. All across the room, giants would fall. We would lay down the sword and shield, and we would allow you to fight the battle on our behalf. We would embrace the mighty mystery of God and you would lead us on to victory as you fight on our behalf. You are good, you are faithful, and you are able in your name. Amen.